Welcome to the Nanco Course podcast. It's the 9th of February 2022 and I want to start today's podcast by reading something that I came across on Instagram stories. It was a story of a person I admire a lot. His name is Major Abhinav Rawat and he is an extremely inspirational person who has you know who who only posts really insightful stuff that uh, can inspire a lot of people and can make their day better. And this particular post that he posted really um resonated a lot with me and i think it will resonate with you as well so here it goes the universe responds to your frequency i'll repeat the universe responds to your frequency it doesn't recognize your personal desires wants or needs it only understands the frequency in which you are vibrating at for example if you are vibrating in the frequency of fear guilt or shame you are going to attract things of a similar vibration to support that frequency if you are vibrating in the frequency of love joy and abundance you are going to attract things to support that frequency it's like tuning into a radio station you have to be tuned into the radio station you want to listen to just like you have to be tuned into the energy you want to manifest in your life i think that's a beautiful quote and I would highly recommend everybody to read this again uh listen to this again and even try and find this on the internet if you can. Thank you Major Abhinav Rawat sir. You're you're an inspiration and I really really uh, get very inspired and happy and driven when I read things like this on the internet. And it just makes me feel thankful about the fact that I'm following really uh, good people on the internet who like to share these kind of things and make life better of the people around them and most importantly their own lives because i'm i'm 100% sure sir is doing so well in his own life that he is actually able to give the fuel to other people to become a better version of themselves and uh, this is a good start to the podcast i think i should do this more often read inspirational stuff read stuff that actually um can give us the fuel needed to attack the day and make it amazing all right and uh, there are amazing news articles on the on in the world today a lots happening a lots a lots is happening in the world and here is something that is extremely personal to me but is also of uh, is also of big importance to a lot of uh, students especially from the delhi university um as a lot of students who might be listening to this already know that uh, the, the delhi university has been shut for the past 2 years or something because of the coronavirus pandemic and i can only begin to imagine what kind of a psychological effect is that have having on the students um frustration is growing uh, there are protests that are happening by the students uh, they're on the streets they want the colleges to start again and i think that's only normal man i i understand there's a pandemic and people are dying and all of these things but think about those students think about the students who are not able to go to college <laughs> i graduated in 2016 i had good 3 years of my time in delhi college of arts and commerce and i cannot imagine doing college from my house i mean the whole point of going to college is to go to the campus meet kids interact with your uh, professors and actually do stuff you know so i can totally imagine uh, there's a picture in the indian express on page number 4 uh, of police pouring water on a, ga- a man named kamal tiwari a cys is activist and a final year student of ma in buddhist studies after he doused himself with petrol 
which is so sad to hear a young man trying to burn himself because he's not able to go to college let the man go to college man let the women go to college let the trans go to college we need people to get educated and open their horizons by meeting more people and uh, i understand there's a pandemic and there might be people who support a college ban a college being shut for so long or and die university being shut for so long let me correct myself but i think it's high time that people get to get to go to college something so basic so uh, this is a report by aranya shankar <coughs> aranya shankar the headline reads frustration grows protests escalate at delhi university as protests over the demand to reopen delhi university intensified tuesday an activist of the chhatra yuva sangharsh samiti cyss the students wing of amadmi party doused himself with petrol while left organizations held agitations on north campus the abvp2 staged a protest on south campus they had on monday submitted memorandums to principals of 55 du colleges demanding reopening the second day of protests saw left organizations the students federation of india sfi all india students association isa and the krantikari yuva sangathan kys hold joint protest and a chakka jam outside the arts faculty building on north campus the protesters marched from patel chest to the arts faculty building before sitting down on the main chhatramarg road of university amid heavy deployment of police and cisf personnel on monday students had protested outside the vice chancellor's office the chakka jam ended after 4 hours with students promising to come back with greater numbers in the coming days meanwhile a separate group of around 20 cyss activists came to the protest site around 1 pm at 1:40 pm kamal tiwari a cyss activist and first year student of ma in buddhist studies doused himself with petrol he also produced he also produced a mat stick but was whisked away by police personnel who poured water on him and took him to a hospital thank you to thank you to delhi police for saving this man's life because sometimes when our emotions are high we make decisions that are not the best for us and i'm really really thankful to all the policemen who poured water on him and saved him from burns or saved him from killing himself thank you delhi police but this is very hard hitting so many students are suffering because of the university being shut and i think it's high time that it's opened one kamal tiwari tried to pour petrol over himself in order to torch himself immediately he was stopped by police present at the spot and was removed from there and taken to hrh hospital it is learned that it is learned that the said liquor was mixed with petrol and water further antecedents are being verified he told reporters they have wasted 3 years of our lives we have been sitting at home all this while later speaking to the indian express tiwari said he was taken to hindu rao hospital and left 4 hours later after receiving counseling i am from kanpur court i am from kanpur during my graduation from motilal nehru college i barely attended college and then everything went online now my ma is go- is going the same way my parents are calling me back home and asking what is the point of staying there we are frustrated he said this is so sad the agitation by left organizations ended around 4:30 pm slogans of dera dal occupy court du tumko kholna hoga du tumko kholna hoga you will have to open du and court du hamara hamare aapke nahi kisi ke baap ka du belongs to you and me not to anyone's father we raised as students protested with placards 
Addressing students, Abhishek Kumar, the SFI DU conveyor, conveyor said, The time for sending memoranda is over. The DU administration should know that now we will protest continuously every day until our demands are met. Abhigyan from ISA said, We demand that the Vice Chancellor come out and speak with us. We will come back here tomorrow in great numbers so that we can carry forward this agitation. And here's what the VC has to say, the Vice Chancellor who has lived his entire life now and is the Vice Chancellor of a big university, as big as Delhi University. And this is what he has to say. Protesting students unnecessarily impatient. Bro, are you kidding me? They're unnecessarily impatient. The kids just want to go to college. That's all they want to do and have a normal, normal college life. And you're taking that away from him and then calling them impatient. This is the exact same type of attitude that lends to an entire generation being destroyed by vice-chancellors like him. But I do not want to sound too critical because at the same time there are concerns, that be real concerns that people have because of uh, why the colleges have been shut in the first place. But I think it's high time now, it's been three years. Delhi University Vice-Chancellor Yogesh Singh Tuesday said the university would reopen after taking stock of the level of preparedness. He said protesting students were becoming unnecessary, unnecessarily impatient and that such a big decision required many factors to be considered. Sources said the issue may come up in the academic counselling meeting, council meeting scheduled for Wednesday, even though it's not on the agenda. What kind of a lax attitude is this? I sometimes really don't understand. The AC meeting, academic counselling council meeting is primarily being called to discuss the undergraduate curriculum framework. Universities in the capital like JNU and Ambedkar University have already announced 100% reopening. Thank God. However, Delhi University is yet to take such a decision. We are working on the modalities and preparedness in the various colleges of the university. Once we get any clarity on that, we will open the university. We have to reopen. There is no question of not reopening, Singh told the Indian Express. Singh also said the comparison could not be made with JNU as the universities had completely different structures and number of students. Quote, See the size of universities. Our challenges are very different. It is very easy to bring out a notice. It doesn't take any time. But if there is no preparedness, how will it work? Students have to come from different states. There are many issues associated with it. If we take an emotional decision and bring out a notice, what will happen to them? There are a good number of girls among them who have to come from far off places, he said. Quote, we have to see the larger picture. We are working on it. As soon as we feel confident and comfortable, we will open it. One of the main issues is hostel preparedness. But there is also sanitation, sanit sanitization of classrooms. Furniture has to be cleaned, etc. We are going by whatever the principals are telling us. Quote, he added. Singh said students' protests are, on reopening could have been dealt dealt with by issuing a notice to pacify them, but that would not be correct. There is no question of not opening the university. The only thing is, students are unnecessarily becoming impatient. Man, the proctor told them we are opening the university, but they need to wait for a little bit. We, we could have evaded responsibility by simply taking out a notice, but that serves no purpose. Just do your job quicker, man. You have to clean some tables, just do it. There is a, I mean, I, I have been a student of Delhi University and I can vouch for one thing. As high the cutoffs are, there is also a very high level of laxity when it comes to the administration. People do not take their jobs very seriously out there because they are being paid by the government. 
and they just sit on their asses and don't get stuff done that's why people get impatient because you don't do your job you just have one job man just clean some tables ha <sighs> earlier due registrar had said meetings were on with principals to decide on when to reopen we are trying to see when we can open but we will not do it immediately because we don't want to panic students we will give give at least 7 to 10 days notice it is not fair to compare jnu with du because jnu's total student strength is around the same strength of one du college we have around 65 students 65% students from outside where will they stay we need to consider all these factors he had said okay so there might be some point in what he's saying but also i do feel that it is high time that they work quicker and make sure that the university is open colleges are open and students get to go to a damn class and go to the campus so that they are able to interact with other kids and have a good college life instead of just putting petrol on themselves and burning themselves to death because they're not able to go to college this must be so sad for the kids i cannot even begin to imagine i am on some selfish level thankful that my graduation is done and i do not have to study in these times when everything is online which i really feel there is no point to like i really do not think i don't know what your thoughts are on this uh, if there are any students listening to this please do let me know if uh, online classes are any in any shape way or form better than offline classes i mean first of all i think the the point of uh, being a college student is really really not about the classroom the things that you re- uh, the learn in the classrooms it is also about the experience So if the experience is being taken away from you I can only imagine that people would get impatient. So I really hope and pray and I will be tracking this story. I really hope and pray that this situation that Delhi University is opened ASAP and that students are able to go to go to college and the protests uh, come to an end and kids get a resolution quick enough. And Vice Chancellor sir here's my message to you. Do your job quicker. Yes people are getting impatient because you're not doing your job quicker so do it quicker this is the need of the hour thank you moving on i'd like to bring my focus to uh news which i think is extremely important from a national perspective um there has been a standing committee that is demanding uh, the increase in manrega which is mahatma gandhi mahatma gandhi national rural Im- rural employment guarantee scheme Yeah, M G N R E G A, Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act. Sorry, um, and is uh, in wanting the days, the guarantee days to uh, increase from hundred and two hundred and fifty days under the Rural Job Guarantee Scheme. Um, the Standing Committee has reviewed the implementation of the Man Manrega at a time when the scheme has been un has seen unprecedented demand for work in the last financial year. Three hundred and eighty-nine point one crore person days were generated, and seven point five five crore households, eleven crore individuals, availed the scheme. Damn, that's a lot of crores. Besides the budgetary allocation, the scheme faces several several issues such as demand for linking of wage increase with consumer price index instead of consumer price index based on agricultural labor, which has a very old base. In addition to this there have been demands for allowing agricultural work under Manrega which is fascinating that it's not allowed damn observing that the Mara, uh, Manrega is a last quote fallback option for many in the rural areas a parliamentary committee has recommended increase in guaranteed days of work from 100 to 150 under the rural job guarantee scheme 
The recommendation comes at a time when the job scheme has become a safety net for migrant workers who returned to their villages during the COVID-19 during COVID-19 and the demand for work under it reached an all-time high in the last financial year. In its report which was tabled in Lok Sabha on Tuesday, the Standing Committee on Rural Development and Panchayati Raj headed by Shiv Sena member Pratap Pratap Rao Jadav also said that the budgetary allocation of a scheme of such an enormous magnitude should be done in a more pragmatic manner so that there is no dart of funds in mid year and flow of funds for payment of wages and material share is maintained seamlessly in the union budget 2022-23 there was no increase in the allocation of manrega with the finance ministry retaining it at 73000 crore for the next financial year and that's a lot of 73000 crore on the demand for increase in the number of guaranteed days of work under the manrega the panel said the committee take no quote the committee take note of this existing provision and are of the view that the manrega is a last quote fallback option for numerous rural people and the amount of expenditure under it also elicits a keen interest in the scheme by the poor and marginalized end quote quote it is high time that the scheme be revamped keeping in view the changing times and emerging challenges particularly in wake of the covid pandemic in view of such background the committee are of firm opinion that the need of the ar is to further diversify the nature of work under manrega in such manner and through such mechanisms which could also propel the number of guaranteed working days under manrega to at least 150 days from the current 100 days it said in its report quote critical evaluation of mahatma gandhi national rural employment guarantee act therefore the committee strongly recommends recommend the department of rural development to review the scheme of manrega in such a way which could which could ensure an increase of guarantee days of work from 100 to 150 days the committee also recommended the rural development department to review its budgetary demand pertaining to manrega and ensure that agreed to labor budget is made at concern level keeping in view the expenditure of previous years the committee find the committee finds that since its exception since its inception and particularly during the last 4 to 5 financial years it has been it has been seen through the analysis of budget estimate that each time there has been a sustainable hike at the revised estimate stage further aug- augmenting the budgetary allocation of the scheme the panel said citing national rural employment guarantee allocation figures for recent years it said the financial year 1819 the base estimate the budget estimate be hmm was hiked from 55000 crores to 61830 crores from 60000 crores to 71000 crores in 1920 from 61500 crores to 111500 crores in 2021 while during the ongoing financial years 2122 from the allocated budget estimate of 73000 crores rupees 52000 crores have already been spent by by first uh first of september 21 in only 6 months quote thus the committee are of the view that the scheme is definitely showing an increase in demand moreover it is also quite perplexing as to the nas- rationale behind keeping the budget estimate for 2021 at and 2021-22 at 73000 crores while in the previous financial year the expenditure was to the tune of 111170 crores this is insane 
1,11,170 crores expenditure on Manrega. I'm hoping all of this money went to the workers. I really, really hope. I do not know how much of it actually ended up in the hands of the people who worked, but uh, I really hope it did. Quote, even after acknowledging the fact that the last financial year, 2020 to 21, witnessed a surge in demand due to reversed migration of workers from urban areas back to rural locations and their dependence on Manrega as a last resort of solace, and also taking note that the Manrega is a demand-driven scheme, the committee are still of the view that budgetary allocation of such a scheme of such enormous magnitude should be done in a more pragmatic manner so that there is no dearth of funds in mid-year and flow of funds of payment of wages, material share, etc. is maintained seamlessly, the panel said. I think this is uh, news which is of extreme importance to a lot of people, especially from the rural areas. And uh, I do not know how much of an effect will it make from uh, guarantee days of work from 100 to 150. But I do feel like uh, having a little bit of empathy in these uh, things is very important because we really, uh, especially people in the urban areas who earn good wages, don't really understand the value of another 50 days of work for somebody who's not making so much money, especially during these times when incomes have gone down and people are really suffering. So, um, yeah, very interesting uh, from the parliament. I would want to see how this further develops. Moving on. There's an extremely sad news that has come uh, from regarding the Indian Army. Um, although it is kind of a good news in a bad news, and it says Arunachal Avalanche, bodies of several, seven soldiers found. The Indian Army has recovered the bodies of seven Indian Army personnel who were reported missing in an avalanche in Arunachal Pradesh's Kaming sector on Sunday, the force said on Tuesday. The bodies are being brought back to the nearest army facility. The army said that seven personnel were on patrol in the high-altitude area of Kaming when an avalanche struck on February 6. The, quote, search and rescue operations were launched immediately, including airlifting of specialized teams. It is said in a statement, it said in a statement, adding that the operations have now concluded and the, quote, bodies of all seven individuals have been recovered from the avalanche site. Quote, unfortunately, despite the best efforts of everyone involved, all seven have been confirmed diseased. Jaihan, I'm so happy. I'm so, I'm so sad to hear this. Um, the army said without releasing the soldiers' names. The area where the avalanche struck is located at an altitude of 14,500 feet and had been witnessing bad weather with heavy snowfall for the last few days, according to the force. The bodies of the soldiers are currently being transferred from the avalanche site to the nearest army medical facility for further formalities. High-altitude patrols can be perilous. The last such incident occurred in May 2020 when two army soldiers were part of a patrol come snow-clearing party died after they were caught in an avalanche in Sikkim. According to the data shared by the government and parliament in February 2020, the army lost six personnel to avalanches and snow slides in Siachen Glacier in 2019 and 11 others in other parts of the country. The government had said that all personnel of the armed forces inducted into high altitude regions are provided adequate training in mountain craft, ice craft and survival in glaciated terrain and mountain coping with any eventuality like avalanche and are also taught to handle medical emergencies. 
they are quote suitably equipped to undertake the operational challenges end quote and modern equipment like helicopters unmanned aerial vehicles snow scooters avalanche detectors and mountain clothing and equipment are used by them but i am extremely saddened to hear this and also kind of happy that at least their bodies have been found and i you know news like this makes me really weak in my knees because our soldiers are out there they're out there protecting our borders they're protecting us and the least we can do is give them a salute and thank them for their service and a big jai hind to all the soldiers out there and also to the families of these seven diseased uh, soldiers who must be who must be so sad to hear this kind of news but they must must also be happy that at least their bodies have been found and a big thank you to all the soldiers who went out there to try to look for their bodies and i really really hope that we don't lose soldiers to avalanches ever again it's a little bit of a prayer uh, these things happen and people who are in the forces they know that you know they're putting their lives on the line for the country but at the same time it's really sad to hear whenever something like this happens so um, my big salute to all the soldiers out there building up on the news from the armed forces there is something extremely extremely interesting what's happening uh, on the social media sphere when it comes to the indian army so um, facebook and instagram have blocked the instagram and facebook handles of chinar cops which is so surprising because it's the indian it's the damn indian army bro you don't you don't you don't screw around with these people but facebook and instagram handles of army shrinagar based Srinagar based uh, 15 cops also known as Chinar cops have been blocked for the past 10 days. This is extremely like it raises a lot of eyebrows because it's a it's an Indian army cops based out of Srinagar and it has been blocked for no damn reason. They've been blo- blocked for the past 10 days. Officials aware of the matter said that the handles were blocked soon after Republic Day celebrations. The Facebook handle at the rate Chinar cops IA had over 24000 followers and over 23000 likes and is even tagged as a government organization the instagram account had around 43000 followers and is named of and is named chinar cops ia clearly identified itself saying welcome to the official account of chinar cops indian army both platforms are owned by facebook's parent company meta platforms officials said the handles were blocked from january 28 and no reason was provided they wrote to facebook immediately after but the issue is yet to be resolved it appears to be quote coordinated campaign an official said as there was no unusual activity sources call it part of information warfare this is exactly what i was thinking about companies like meta are under a lot of pressure from chinese investors um even though this it's a fact like facebook is extremely compromised and we sometimes really don't understand as to why these things happen and they never give an a uh, reasoning for taking down an account of the indian army and um, information warfare is a very very real thing it takes a few thousand amount of uh, reportings for an account to be taken down and it could be done by anybody it could be done by fourth agents from pakistan agents from china who knows sources call it part of information warfare stating that this has happened earlier as well some social media accounts were blocked last year for a few days hinting at pakistan oh damn yeah they said sometimes the pages might be reported by a large group of oh my god that's exactly what i was just saying 
reported by a large group of people as part of a coordinated campaign which can result in the page being suspended sources said neither facebook nor instagram had mentioned any specific post by chinar cops that violated their rules officials said the content of these two platforms was similar to what they post on twitter and was in line with how official content is shared i would really want to know what happens with this because information warfare is a very very real phenomena and uh, the indian army is has always been a target for pakistani agents and uh, we rev- never really know we never really know why uh, these things happen and i think i have if someone were to ask me to bet money on why do you think and who has done this i would definitely blame pakistan and a lot of anti national agents because man people people are vela dude they want to take down indian army accounts and uh, you don't you don't screw with the indian army so this account will be back and i hope that uh, facebook and instagram are listening get the account back bro moving on um i would want to read out an article written by former chief election commissioner of india and author of an undocumented wonder the making of the great indian election sy kureshi he talks about how despite election commission's opposition broad consensus among political parties opinion and exit polls continue to be under regulated every election season we find television channels flooded with opinion polls critics have often questioned their authenticity all political parties too have opposed these polls demanding a ban except when they are showing as winning obviously <laughs> the the media on the other hand invariably opposes the idea of a ban as seat forecasts attract prime time viewership in most democracies opinion and exit polls are common during elections However, restrictions are also imposed in many countries, extending from 2 to 21 days prior to the poll. Canada, France, Italy, Poland, Turkey, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, to name a few examples. The opposition to to the ban in India is mainly on the ground that freedom of speech and expression is granted by the constitution article 19. What is conveniently forgotten is that this freedom is not absolute and allows for quote reasonable restrictions in the same article. The Indian Penal Code and Representation of Peoples Act 1951 do contain certain restrictions. While the constitution allows for reasonable restrictions on freedom of expression, its mandate to the ECI, Election Commission of India, for free and fair elections is absolute. The Supreme Court in a series of judgments has emphasized this requirement. Quote: Democracy cannot survive without free and fair elections. Union of India versus ADR 2003. quote free and fair elections is the basic structure of the constitution the heart of the parliamentary system is free and fair elections why does the eci feel that opinion polls interfere with free and fair elections having seen quote paid news in action it apprehends that some opinion polls may be sponsored motivated and biased also almost all polls are non transparent providing little information on the methodology with such infirmities many court polls amount to disinformation that can result in court undue influence which is an court electoral offense under ipc 171 it is a court corrupt practice under section 123 of the rp act representation of people act the demand for a ban on opinion polls is not new at two all party meetings called by election commission in 1997 and 2004 there was unanimous demand for such a ban The difference of opinion was only on whether the ban should apply from 
the announcement of the poll schedule or the date of notification. In 1998, the Election Commission of India issued guidelines that were challenged in the Supreme Court. A five-judge constitution bench asked the Election Commission of India how it would enforce these decisions in the absence of a law. Realizing its weakness, the ECI withdrew the guidelines till a law was made. Unfortunately, this left the constitu constitutionality of the issue undecided. The matter resurfaced in 2008 when many political parties came to ECI demanding a ban on opinion and exit polls. The ECI advised them that they need to raise it in Parliament as it required legislative amendment. The Election Commission even vetted a draft on the proposed amendment. Surprisingly, Parliament banned exit polls but not opinion polls. It is not clear why the parties who were unanimous in demanding the ban on both opinions and exit polls did not pass it in Parliament in its entirety. Double speak, very common from politicians, unfortunately. In 2013, the debate on banning opinion polls was revived when the law ministry, law ministry advised the ECI to once again seek the view of all political parties. 15 political parties responded, all but one, BJP, supported a ban. It was interesting to watch the debate on the subject in the media. All the participants, media, pollsters and jurists were heard supporting the opinion polls, yet admitting the presence of serious flaws. The ECI and political parties are not alone in doubting the integrity of opinion polls. The Press Council of India says, This has become necessary to emphasize today, since the print media is sought to be exploited by the interest individuals or groups to misguide and mislead the unwary voters by subtle and not-so-subtle propaganda on casteists, casteist, religious and ethnic bases, as well as by the use of sophisticated means like the alleged poll service. In early 2014, a sting operation by a television news channel caused quite a stir. As many as 11 polling companies were caught red-handed fraudulently manipulating surveys. Damn, man. These polling agencies were willing to manipulate the margin of error, victory margin for candidates, seat projections for a party, or hide negative findings. Unfortunately, this expose did not receive the attention it deserved. Why is the, what is the way forward? Ideally, an independent regulator like the British Polling Council would be a viable option. All polling agencies must disclose for scrutiny the sponsor, besides sample size, methodology, time frame, quality of training of research staff, etc. India could set up its own professional body on the same lines. After the Bihar 2015 election, six leading agencies had spoken about the possibility of starting a self-regulatory body, the Indian Polling Council. Over six years, there is no progress. A related, a related issue is exit polls, which were banned by amendment to the Representation of People Act in 2008, making both the conduct of the polls and their dissemination illegal. However, the media has regularly flouted the law by conducting exit polls on poll days, though airing the results only after the closure, the closure of the poll on the last day. Surprisingly, the ECI continues to overlook this violation. In fact, the ECI order allows the dissemination of the exit poll results half an hour after the end of polling on last poll day. It makes no mention of the ban on the conduct of the poll itself, which is expressly prohibited by law. Thus, ECI guidelines stand opposed to the provision of the law. This is creating confusion. Many young researchers have been arrested by the police for violating the law. This must stop. 
this is actually quite a fascinating topic that I don't have many opinions on. All the same time, I feel people should be allowed to vote for who they want to vote for after doing a due diligence of the candidates that are fighting the elections from their respective constituency. I really feel that there is a big gap in between um, the information about the candidates and um, what are their credentials, what are their criminal records, how much money do they own, what kind of work have they done. A lot of times we want to vote for BJP, Congress, AAP, whoever these parties are without really understanding who the candidate is. So I think um, when it comes to voting literacy, it's kind of important for people to understand that uh, who you vote for makes a big difference irrespective of which party they come from. And uh, when it comes to exit polls, uh, I feel I really don't know. Like if you've already voted, how much of a difference does it make if you tell somebody that you voted for, say, BJP, but if you actually voted for somebody else or vice versa. So yeah, it's quite interesting. S.Y. Kureshi. I would love to uh, speak to him. His uh, book, his book is called, his book is called Undocumented Wonder, The Making of the Great Indian Election. I would definitely love to go through this book and maybe get in touch with sir and uh, have a conversation about this. Now, uh, moving on to a news article, news piece that affects me quite directly. It talks about the accreditation, accreditation, how do you pronounce this? Accreditation of journalists. And uh, yeah, this is quite personal because I've studied journalism and um, I would, I don't know if I could be considered a journalist because I really haven't worked for any media house, but I am very interested in talking to people and documenting stories. Um, I actually did not know that the government accredits journalists and this is quite fascinating. The government uh, has issued a new policy on accreditation of journalists and they've introduced an entire section about reasons that can result in suspension of the accreditation. Accreditation? Accreditation? Accreditation. <laughs> Damn, I really need to understand how this word is pronounced. Anyway, so what has changed? The new policy prepared by Ministry of Information and Broadcasting and issued by the PBI, PIB, Press Information Bureau, lays down guidelines on how PIB accreditation will be granted to eligible journalists. At the moment, there are about 2,457 PIB accredited journalists in the country. 2,457. Okay. For the first time, it specifies conditions that can result in the journalist losing accreditation. If a journalist, quote, acts in a manner which is prejudicial to the sovereignty and integrity of India, the security of the state, friendly relations with foreign states, public order, Decency, decency or morality or in relation to contempt of court, defamation or incitement of an offense, end quote, her accreditation can be cancelled. Interesting. Um, these are the grounds for cancellation. The previous policy issued in 2013 had stated under general terms of accreditation um, that accred accreditation shall be withdrawn as soon as conditions on which it was given ceases to exist. Accreditation is also liable to be withdrawn suspended if it is found to have been misused. The new policy has 10 points that may result in the accreditation being cancelled, including if a journalist is charged with a serious cognizable offence. What concerns does this raise? One of the core responsibilities of a journalist is to expose wrongdoing. That's true. You have to expose wrongdoing and I don't know how many journalists are doing this today. Um, 
especially considering the financial interests of so many of them whether by public officials politicians big businessmen corporate groups or other people in power this could result this could result at times in such powers trying to intimidate journalists or to block information from coming out a common tool used by powerful people is filing of defamation cases against journalists and media platforms now defamation has been made one of the provisions that can lead to cancellation of accreditation which goes against the total point of journalism because journalists fight against the powerful and if the powerful decide to put a case on uh, the journalist then their accreditation will be taken down so what is the whole point of this journalists can often report on issues and policy decisions that the government may not like the new policies provision about acting quote in manner which is prejudicial to the sovereignty and integrity of india the security of the state friendly relations with foreign states public order decency or morality or quote incitement of an offense this is where the problem lies if it can be subjective the policy is silent on who will decide if a journalist conduct violates any of these conditions any investigative and any investigative story on sensitive issues could be held to be in violation of any of these provisions who is liable for accreditation who is eligible sorry i'm so sorry who is eligible for accreditation there are multiple categories but a journalist needs to have a minimum 5 years professional experience as a full time working journalist or a camera person in a news organization or a minimum of 15 years as a freelancer to become eligible so it's 5 years if you're working for an organization and 15 years as a freelancer to become eligible veteran journalists with over 30 years of experience and who are older than 65 years of age too are eligible accreditation is only available for journalists living in the delhi ncr region oh my god this is so dumb accreditation is available for journalists living in delhi ncr region only which is uh, one of the dumbest things i've ever heard because journalists are from th- are from throughout the country like why only people living in delhi ncr region what's the whole point of this accreditation anyway uh yeah i really hope this is helpful uh, journalists should just do their work anyway man don't think about the government giving you a tag for being a journalist i think i don't even know what are the benefits of this but i'll come to that a newspaper or a periodical needs to have a minimum daily circulation of 10000 and news agencies must have at least 100 subscribers similar rules apply for foreign news organizations and foreign journalists The policy has introduced a provision that journalists working with digital news platforms are also eligible provided the website has a minimum of 10 lakh unique visitors per month damn the policy has introduced a provision that journalists working with digital news platforms are also eligible provided the website has a minimum of 10 lakh unique visitors per month do they think like 10 lakh unique visitors is like a small thing but i don't know Applications for accreditation are vetted by a central press accreditation committee headed by the DG PIB. After a journalist applies, a mandatory security check is conducted by the Home Ministry, which includes police verification of the journalist's residence. How does accreditation help? Okay, I really wanted to get this. We we'll get to this. The policy mentions that the accreditation does not quote confer any official or special status on the journalist. but only recognizes them as a quote professional working journalist okay so you're getting recognized by the government very good there are three advantages one in certain events where vvips or dignitaries such as presidents vice presidents or the prime minister are present only accredited journalists are allowed to report from the premises very good 
Second, accreditation accreditation ensures that a journalist is able to protect the identity of his or her sources. An accredited journalist does not have to disclose who he or she intends to meet when entering offices of union ministries, as the accreditation card is, quote, valid for entry into buildings under MHA, Ministry of Home Affairs Security Zone. Hmm. Third, accreditation brings certain benefits for journalists and and his or her family, like being included in the central government health scheme and some concessions on railway tickets. Okay. Have governments tried to put similar curbs earlier? Several governments have tried, but have had to usually withdraw. In 2018, during its first term, the NBA government introduced fake news guidelines, proposing that a journalist's accreditation can be suspended and even permanently cancelled if media regulatory bodies adjudge that the journalist had propagated fake news, the order was withdrawn. In 2017, the Rajasthan government brought in a bill to protect the state officials from, quote, scrupulous and non-substantiable charges, end quote. It entailed a jail term for a maximum of two years and a fine. The bill was withdrawn, thank God. In 2012, during the UPA regime, Congress leader Minakshi Natarajan wanted to introduce a private member's bill in Lok Sabha which proposed setting up a media regulatory authority with powers to ban or suspend coverage of an event or incident that, quote, may pose a threat to national security from foreign or internal sources. Eventually, Natarajan did not introduce the bill, and her party too distanced itself from it. Former Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi, whose government was rocked by corruption allegations, had proposed a defamation bill in 1988, which would make, quote, make publication of Putations falsely alleging commission of offences by any person as an offence. End quote. The bill, eventually withdrawn, proposed a jail term for up to five years for defamation. Damn, man. Defamation is actually quite a double-edged sword. Because the powerful use it against journalists. And journalists don't really make that much money, let's be honest. Like, most of them are either working for compromised organizations and freelancers themselves. Um, I don't know how much money they make. But powerful people make a lot of money and filing a case on those people is extremely easy. Especially if you're a driven journalist that wants to bring the truth out. And if that truth doesn't serve the purpose of the powerful, then they can take you down. So I really don't know how much uh, teeth can be, uh, can be exercised by the government because of their accreditation given to journalists. But I hope uh, that, you know, but I hope that... It is not used against real journalists who are who are breaking stories against the the corrupt powerful and uh, bringing people to authority, uh, bring bringing people to accountability. Moving on um, to something that I'm extremely interested in, which is the China Russia relationship. China Russia relationship, I think, could define the future of the twenty first century because these are two nations that are. You, they have interests in taking the U.S. down, and uh, they have personally been. They have, they are, uh, you know, at least from the outside, they seem to be very good friends, and they have common interests, and they share a very very long border as well, and a common history. Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping both are extremely powerful leaders in their nations and in the world uh, to, as well, and I've been following the Ukraine Russia United States conflict. So I feel the China and Russia relationship could be a defining relationship in this entire situation and also in the future. 
So I would want to read this simply put in the explained section of the Indian Express written by Nirupama Subramanian The China Russia relationship uh, the China Russia relationship Z is seemingly uh, with Putin against the US as we all kind of would think uh, but the relationship between their countries is complex their interests do not always converge the situation in Ukraine is fluid and all parties are hedging their bets President Vladimir Putin's show of strength with Xi Jinping in Beijing last week amid the standoff with NATO on Ukraine was intended to demonstrate that Russia and China were on the same page on the quote core interests of upholding quote international equity and justice in the face of U- US unilateralism and supported each other against quote external interference and regional security threats The joint statement issued after summit titled International Relations Entering a New Era and Global Sustainable Development hailed the new interstate relations between Russia and China superior to political and military alliances of the Cold War era and said the friendship had quote no limits and no forbidden areas of cooperation damn despite being together in, uh, together in rejecting US unipolarity The relationship between Russia and China is complex and layered. Each has its distinct world view and specific interests in its geographical region and its own battles to fight. Mistrust to cooperation. Relations between China and the former U- Soviet Union were frosty, marked by mistrust and doctrinal differences for most of the Cold War decades. The change came in 1989 when Mikhail Gorbachev became the first Soviet leader. to land in Beijing since Nikita Khrushchev in 1958 the visit took place in the midst of the Tiananmen Square student protests but Gorbachev held off from saying anything that would anger his hosts Gorbachev and paramount leader Deng Xiaoping declared quote mutual respect for sovereignty and territorial integrity mutual non-aggression non-interference in each other's internal affairs equality and mutual benefit and peaceful coexistence as the basis of their bilateral relations a decade after the soviet union broke up disappointed and humiliated by the way the west had downgraded it and deep in economic crisis russia under putin's first presidency turned to china under xi jiang zemin in 2001 the two countries signed the treaty of good neighbor neighborliness and friendly cooperation paving the way for expanding economic and trade ties including sales of defense equipment and energy by Russia to China and Russia's backing for China's position on Taiwan the George W Bush administration was not perturbed and said this was not an alliance against the US last june the two countries extended the treaty to a virtual meeting between Putin and Xi Putin told Xi that the Russian Chinese coordination plays a stabilizing role in world affairs and China's president said their countries had quote set an example for the formation of a new type of international relations mm-hmm. together against US Russia's 2014 annexation of Crimea and Ukraine led to a sharp downturn in Moscow's ties with the US NATO and Europe this was also the turning point in Russia's ties with China which revealed the possibilities potential and the limits of the relationship When the US, EU, Australia imposed sanctions on Russia, Putin turned reflexively to Beijing. Over the next year, Russia opened its door wide for Chinese investments and struck a 400 billion dollar deal for Gazprom, 
the Russian state monopoly gas exporter to supply 38 billion cubic metric 38 billion cubic meters annually to China for 30 years from 2025 that's a lot of gas 38 billion cubic meters the power of siberian the, the power of siberia pipeline began operations in 2019 and sent 16.5 bcm of gas to china last year during putin's visit to beijing last week the two countries signed a deal for another pipeline power of siberia 2 which will add 10 bcm of gas to the annual supply for 30 years since 2016 trade between the two countries has gone from 50 billion dollars to over 147 billion dollars damn and within 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 5 years they have increased their uh, trade by over 100 billion dollars that's very impressive china is now russia's largest trading partner towards a modus vivendi in central asia the two countries agreed to work towards speeding up the linking of the russia led eurasian economic union and the chinese belt and road initiative russia led eurasian economic union and chinese belt and road initiative with their ties closer than ever before the crisis in ukraine has been an opportunity for each country to express solidarity with the others grievance grievance against the us should the west impose financial and banking sanctions on russia beijing is expected to assist moscow perhaps with alternative payment methods China said during Putin China said during Putin's visit that Russia's quote reasonable security concerns should be recognized and resolved an apparent reference to Ukraine's interest in joining NATO and the joint statement backed by the Russian opposition to any expansion of the western military alliance in Europe Russia reaffirmed support for the one China principle and opposed any form of independence for for Taiwan the statement also hit out quote against the formation of closed block structures and opposing camps in the asia pacific region and quote the negative impact of us indo pacific strategy different interests and yet as several observers have pointed out the china russia compact is not yet a formal security alliance against the west nor is it an ideological partnership the joint statement referred to nato's expansion but did not mention ukraine Back in March 2014, in the vote of United United Nations Security Council resolutions on the referendum in Crimea that was used by Putin as an excuse to annex the Black Sea Peninsula, China had abstained, and despite the recent Bonhomme, has not recognized Crimea's accession to Russia. China's main security interests lie in Asia. Russia's are in Europe. From from Putin's demands in ongoing negotiations with the West. It is clear that he is seeking the restructuring of European security, and if the U.S. wants to link the crisis in Eastern Europe with China, it was their problem, not his. Russia, which wants to be recognized as a great power once again, has positions independent of Beijing on many issues, including on the relationship with India. As the smaller economy, its GDP is a tenth of China's, but with a strong memory of its lost superpower status. Russia is loath to become China's junior partner. Its experience with China in 2014 had brought home the reality that friend or not, Beijing drives a hard bargain, which is so true. India and China relationships have also suffered the same thing. Um China is extremely aggressive. The negotiations on the pipeline and gas prices were fraught 
and Russia is acutely conscious that its gas exports to Germany and the rest of Europe gets much more revenue and that China anyway has other pipelines to tap. Also, despite talk of Russia-China cooperation in Central Asia, Moscow still sees the region as part of its sphere of influence. For Beijing, war in Ukraine is the least suitable of options. It would take US military energies away from the South China Sea, but might also stall talks to resolve trade issues. China and the EU are each other's biggest trading partners. China's trade with Russia is small by comparison. Beijing will not fight the war if it breaks out, but it will nonetheless find it messy and complicated to negotiate. As for Ukraine, it is crucial link it is a crucial link in Xi's BRI project. China is also Ukraine's biggest trading partner, and its agricultural exports, particularly corn, have sustained China during its trade war with the US. Views from New Delhi In this crisis, with many moving parts, it is easy to both overstate and underread the Russia-China relationship. All actors are hedging their bets in ways that are altering the geopolitics of Europe and Asia in real time. New Delhi's best bet would be to treat its relations with both countries and the United States separately, or it runs the risk of shrinking its own space. India's relationship with Russia is not what it used to be, but there is much that both, both sides continue to see as mutually beneficial. The Russia-China statement did not mention China's border dispute with India, it only made a reference to developing cooperation among these three countries. After the Russian-linked Redfish media teased a documentary that drew parallels between Kashmir and Palestine, the Russian embassy clarified that Redfish was not official media and reiterated that Kashmir was an issue for India and Pakistan to resolve bilaterally. This came a day after Pakistan and China issued a statement expressing concern at India's unilateral actions in JNK. As, as one former Indian diplomat put it, India would restrict its foreign policy choices and undermine its own status as a rising power of global standing by taking sides in a conflict that has nothing to do with it. What else was French, was French President Emmanuel Macron five-hour meeting with the Putin over dinner if not a display of grand complexity of global politics? The fluidity of, present, of the fluidity of the present and the opportunities in it. Extremely interesting. Um, Russia and China, two great powers, combined by their um, concerns for the United States and also dealing with their own cultural differences. And how much uh, Russia exports so much gas to Germany and European countries, and it's now also exporting gas to China. So Russia does have a lot of uh, say in these relationships, but China, on the other hand, is the big economy when it comes to manufacturing, supply chain management, and all of these other factors where it has like such a strong hold. Man, very interesting. I've already hit the fifty of uh, the one hour mark on this podcast, so I will be keeping a cap. But I really, really hope that you guys like this episode of the Nancoverse podcast. Do um, consider hitting the subscribe button if you made it till the end and um, share it with your friends, family, loved ones, whoever. And also find us on Spotify. You can also find me on Instagram at Nancoverse, N-A-N-C-O-V-E-R-S-E. My name is Naman Datta and thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great life and stay hydrated, keep smiling and 
give people around you hugs you know because love is the most important thing that we have love is important health is important take care of yourself be stress free and i want to wish everyone a great 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 day ahead and a great week and a great life love you all take care